Hi, everyone. My name is Dr. Greg Wells, and this is my podcast. I'm a scientist, a physiologist, an author, and I love exploring how to live a high-performance life. In my books, my presentations, and this podcast, I am doing my best to translate hard science and powerful experiences into actionable, effective life performance strategies. Using the latest research on the brain and the body, this podcast will show you simple but transformative strategies that boost mental and physical health, advance careers, and upgrade lives. I am committed to changing one life at a time for the better. I want to focus on health, happiness, and performance, and I call my mission the billion-person problem. And I don't kid myself that I'm going to reach a billion people, but that's the dream and the space where my passion, my expertise, and my practices all come together. My passion is to help people live healthier and more impactful lives. My expertise lies in the research that I both try to conduct and engage in for a living, And my practice is devoted to providing evidence-based insights and strategies that make it possible to achieve personal and professional success. And that is what this podcast is all about. I hope that you love the show and it makes a big difference in your life. Let me know what you think on Twitter at Dr. Greg Wells. And without any further delays, let's dive into this episode of the Dr. Greg Wells podcast. Hey everyone, welcome back. It is great to be with you. And today we have a really cool interview with Shane Feldman. Shane's a really interesting guy. He's he's basically become an expert in community and building more community into your life in this era of constant, unrelenting distraction. He is the founder and CEO of Count Me In, and he's basically the visionary behind the world's largest millennial-led movement. Over the past decade, Count Me In has initiated tens of thousands of projects worldwide and has contributed through those projects and volunteerism over $2.3 billion to the global economy all through service. He's been featured by Larry King, Dr. Oz, Forbes, People Magazine, and a has been highlighted in a documentary TV series, on A&E. He's spoken with and worked with some of the most dynamic companies on the planet, including Google, Microsoft, Walt Disney. He's been recognized by the White House, the Prime Minister of Canada, and the United Nations. Count Me In is his youth-led movement. And it basically started as a small project that went totally viral and has evolved into a global phenomenon that's now known as Count Me In. It is committed to transforming the way teens see themselves in connection to the world through volunteerism, community, and mentorship. It is now the largest youth-led organization on the planet. And since the first program in 2011, Count Me In, community members have organized and supported hundreds of service projects, committed, contributing over to over 100 million volunteer hours logged which was valued at over, as I said, $2.3 billion. Count Me In is a global leader in immersive and practical student leadership training and community building. And even though uh, it's focused on student leadership, believe it or not, believe me, everything that you will hear uh, shows, as Shane has said numerously, uh, numerous times in this conversation, this has nothing to do with a specific generation. This has everything to do with humanity as a whole. 
So I think you're going to love this conversation. It's super cool. Shane's amazing. Uh, his depth of knowledge and his ability to express it is incredible. So please enjoy my wide-ranging conversation all about community with Shane Feldman. Thanks for having me, Greg. Uh, so take me back to the beginning. I'd love to learn more a little bit about what you're up to, uh, why we're sitting here chatting, and I'm just fascinated by all the work that you're doing. Sure. Well, I mean, my story really begins back in high school, I guess. Um, so Count Me In, which I started as a small school project, took off like crazy um, when I was in my sophomore year, my my 10th grade of high school. And this small school project turned into a regional event, then a national movement. And now 10 years later, it's the largest millennial-led organization in the world. We've reached 10 million people in over 100 countries. And the, the whole idea is really this youth empowerment incubator. So it's kind of this beautiful marriage between social entrepreneurship training and uh, community, you know, bringing people together. That's really wild. When you decided to go after this, why did you begin with the high schoolers? Like, why are we, and I'm sort of fascinated just because I spent so much time in, in high schools. And obviously, if you empower youth, there's the future that you're creating. But how did you end up going after that particular particular audience? I mean, at the time, I was a high school student myself, right? So I was just working with the demographic that I was a part of, that I knew. So it, it seemed natural to me. The whole idea for this project came out of an experience that I had when I started high school myself. So I started in a brand new community, didn't really know anyone, and had a really difficult time finding my place and fitting in. And I ended up going to my school counselor to actually try and transfer to another school. And he ended up mentoring me and helping me actually get involved in my school community. And in that, in turn, helped me meet people and make friends. And it was all from this really simple idea of plugging into my own community. And the more I got involved, the better everything else became. And the more I realized there were so many people who weren't involved in anything, who were just going through the motions, but didn't feel any real connection to community. And I think for me, it was just so clear. I could see it right in front of my eyes with the other students in my school. But if we think about it, I think the same goes for just about any demographic out there. We all know what it's like, whether you are a young person, student, adult, or even if you're retired, we all know what it's like to go through life, to check off the boxes, to all the things that you feel you're supposed to do, and never really feel that sense of connection or community that we all crave. I mean, human beings, we're social animals. We are hardwired for connection. And so many of us don't actually feel that, particularly in westernized culture in North America. We are far more concerned with our own busyness and checking off those boxes versus real connection. And I learned really young when I was still in high school what it felt like to actually feel that sense of connection. I saw how it dramatically changed my life from someone who wanted to drop out of school to, to give up and give in to really someone who was thriving and who was feeling good, who was waking up excited to start my day, go to the place I literally dreaded going to just days earlier. So it was amazing for me just seeing that shift in my own life. I wanted to help other people my own age feel that. And that, that was the humble beginning. It was just how can I inspire and bring together, unite kids in my own school 
um, and, and help them realize what they're missing out on and what can happen when they actually connect with other people offline in real life in a meaningful way. And the first event was only supposed to bring together 50 students from my school and 386 students showed up from seven schools throughout the region. What? So that's no when I realized way. I was kind of onto something. Yeah, it was nuts. You know, I had my small team of friends that was helping me put it on and we, we ended up rallying together uh, just under 400 students from the greater community. And it was amazing. And it was this moment where we realized people were hearing us and they felt heard and recognized themselves. We were building this in a grassroots way. We were listening to people and, and you know, hiring the, the speakers and facilitators, talking about the things that they wanted to talk about. You know, when a student said they were really interested in sports, we would find an Olympian to come speak, right? So we were just really creating this from the ground up. And it was by the people, for the people, and it was amazing how we were able to tap into that. And that same mindset is how we grew the next year from 386 to just under 1,000. Um, and then uh, the kind of the rest is history. We ended up broadcasting it live. We partnered with the same woman, Sheila O'Brien, who directs the opening and closing ceremonies of the Olympics uh, to direct our, our shows moving forward. And, and now we've had students from all around the world take part. And uh, it's just been incredible watching it grow and watching what happens when people really feel like they're part of a community. I am so fired up about this. And I want to go back a little bit because you've said so much that I want to dig into. But the first thing that I want to dig into is you made some comments about busyness and shifting out of busy work into important, doing important things. Can you explain a little bit more about what you dealt, what, you, what you're thinking about that? Because I wrote an article on that recently. Uh, I think... I, it's the Eisenhower principle, I, but I think that's so important. I'd love to hear your take on it because obviously you've leveraged that to do some pretty wild stuff. Definitely. I mean, I think it's interesting. You know, I hear a lot of people, particularly millennials who get enough bad uh, bad enough rep as it is, but a lot of people, I think, naturally want to feel like they're making an impact, right? We all want to feel like we're doing something meaningful, yet so many of us are just so busy being busy, right? I mean, I, I, I feel like I'm guilty of that myself sometimes too, where someone will ask me how I'm doing and I instantly respond, hey, you know, I'm busy, right? It's, mm -hmm. it's, you know, something we wear like this badge of honor. And I don't think it's necessarily about switching jobs or big lifestyle changes so that you really feel like you're making that impact and slowing down every single day. Volunteering is amazing. Working for organizations is great. Meditation is wonderful. All those things I don't want to undermine and I happen to do all three. But at the same time, I think it's much more important to realize we can all slow down just a little bit more, connect just a little bit deeper with the people around us, and just see that the people around us matter just as much, if not more so, than the actual work we're doing. And it, it took me traveling all around the world and researching community. You know, I've researched community and connection in 20 countries now and on, on the ground. And it's been amazing what I've learned in Eastern culture and really anywhere outside of North America in terms of what happens when regardless of the actual task at hand, people are concerned more with the people that they're sharing an office with versus the actual job they're doing. And that's where I was able to see the highest increases in productivity, in, in job wellness, and in joy that people actually felt day in and day out when people were actually caring far more about the people they've worked with or alongside versus what they were doing. And it's not so much the task but it's who you're sharing the task with, if that makes sense. Yeah, when no, when awesome. we're able to make that mindset shift, that's what makes a difference more so than, you know, your new yoga or meditation regimen. Super cool. And I, I couldn't agree more. Like the last few weeks have been spent uh, very deliberately in and around, you know, old friends and 
whenever you're around your old friends, everything is just so much better. And it doesn't really matter what anyone's doing. You just, you're happy, you're laughing, you're joking, and you just, you're able to do so, so much more. Um, but I want to dig into community a little bit. What, what in your mind is community? Because if anything, I think that we're more connected than we've ever been yet. So many people are, are lonely. We're going faster than we've ever gone, but at the same time, not getting anything done. So I, I'm just so fascinated by your perspective on this because it's the things that you're saying are making me think about uh, things a little bit differently already, even five minutes into this call. And yeah, I'd, I'd love your perspective on on community. What is it? Sure. I mean, it's I define community as a shared human experience in real life. Hmm. So true community is a shared human experience in real life. And when you hear me say that, I, I'm sure, I mean, knowing you and your work, you probably agree that we're in the, the middle of a community crisis, particularly in North America, in this Americanized culture that, that we are surrounded by, because there is very little shared human experience offline in real life that anyone experiences on a, on a regular day-to-day -day basis. And it's why, I mean, I, I spend about 80% of my time now traveling, speaking uh, for companies and, and at conferences. And my main topic now is community, how to build a sense of true community and, and welcome it back into our workplace. Because, you know, business used to be built on handshakes, not Google Hangouts, mm -hmm. right? Parenting was about story time. Now it's about screen time. We used to know our neighbors. And now I find that in most companies I work with, most people don't know the person who sits right next to them at the office. Mm -hmm. And I'm not talking about that person's name. I'm talking about really knowing someone, mm -hmm. right? Spending time to actually get to know the people that you work with, that you see day in and day out. So that's the shared human experience is, is what it's all about. We talk a lot in sports about shared common experience. And when we have teams, we try to make sure that they have a quote unquote shared common experience outside of the sport, which can be as little as simple as like go to a movie together. Um, you know, and as soon as you start having these shared common experiences outside of your day to day, that's when the team starts coming together and that's when they start supporting each other. So I assume that's pretty much what you're the point that you're trying to get to. Absolutely. And you hit it right on, on the head there. It, it can be very simple things, right? Something as simple as sitting down for a meal together, going out to watch a movie, exercising, doing a group Zumba class, you know, it, it, simple little things, going for a walk together, anything that could in, enrich any sense of connection that isn't work, right? That's, that's the important part. It can't be something that you have to do. Mm. It has to be something that you're choosing to do. And it doesn't just come automatically. Some people think that community simply appears because you shop somewhere or read a certain magazine or work at a particular company. But just because you shop at Whole Foods doesn't mean you skip down the produce aisle giving out high fives and hugs to everyone you see. Mm. Right? It doesn't just appear. So these are things, they're simple things, but they're things that we have to actively inject into our lives, into our lifestyle. It's a choice that we have the opportunity to make every single day. Do I want to connect with other people? And it's also not an introvert extrovert situation, right? I am painfully introverted. I am one of the most introverted people that I know. I love social time, but it's incredibly draining for me. Mm. But I still, every single day, I try and do something intentional to connect with other people in some meaningful, even if it's a, a small, simple way. Uh, a friend of mine, Stephanie, actually recently challenged me 
uh, I fly a lot. I, I'm on around 100 flights a year. So it's a significant amount of my time. Um, and I like to think of it as a chance to be inside my little bubble and watch a movie, read a book, you know, being in my own little space. I often travel on my own. So I'm that guy that always puts on my headphones right away so I don't need to interact with anyone. I just, I like being in my own bubble. And my friend Stephanie challenged me to now, whenever I sit down on a plane, to turn to the person who sits down next to me and simply say, hey, how's it going? Which sounds simple, but to me, that's a big deal, right? That, as, as an introvert, as someone who likes to be in my own little protected bubble, that's a big deal. But I also recognize how much I value community and connection. And even those simple things um, can make a huge shift in our day. And the day after I was challenged to do this, I happened to have two flights back to back. So on each of those flights, I took a deep breath, turned to the person next to me right away when we sat down and said, hey, how's it going? And I actually actually ended up having two 10, 15 minute amazing, stimulating conversations with each of those two seatmates who otherwise I would have never connected with at all. And while it was exhausting to think about and while it was challenging to do, I'm so glad I did. And, you know, I didn't. I didn't uh, have any deep friendships come out of those flights. We didn't exchange numbers. There was nothing crazy like that. But it was a really nice feeling of connection with each of those people that otherwise would have never happened if I didn't choose to make that decision in the first place, right? So again, we're talking about simple things, but those connections are what fill us up inside as social animals. Yeah. And I'm on a lot of airplanes as well. So I'll do that next time because I'm just like you, I throw on my headphones and drop into my cone of silence. A lot and, of us yeah, do. And sure. we, it doesn't just, it's not just frequent flyers too. A lot of us, when we're on the bus, a subway, in an Uber, whatever it is, we like to really be in our own space. And so often you even see people walking on the streets, sitting in restaurants, everyone's on their phones, right? We are very digitally connected. The thing is you can't get any kind of emotional connection from your device, right? That's been proven time and time again. So it's very isolating to be on our devices. It's important, you know, technology is great. Digital is great. We need to celebrate it and use it for the tool that it is. But without the foundation of our relationships with each other offline, we lose the meaning. And that's what I think so many of us feel on a day-to-day -day right now, a loss of meaning. Yeah, we got to dig into that. How is technology maybe not helping us to connect, even though we are, let's say, communicating? And why is the in-person connection so much different? What what have we learned? What's the research showing? What have you, what have you seen around that? I see digital as a starting point. Right, it's an important tool. It's not going anywhere, and I don't think it's the bad guy. I think a lot of people like to, to fear it, to say bad things about it. I think technology, social media, all those things have their place, but it's not the foundation, right? It's not that shared human experience. You can't really get that, right? So you may feel like you have more in common with uh, people in a Facebook group than you do with the other parents at your kid's school. When we're talking about actual emotional connection, actual community building, it really takes those offline connections because fundamentally, on a primitive level, we are social animals. We need that kind of in-person, live social interaction, the eye contact, celebration, movement, laughter. These are all universal experiences that happen in real life. And if you are sitting in a room with nothing but devices and you don't actually interact with human beings in real life, you start to feel really deep-set loneliness, mm. right? Even if you are scrolling and see hundreds of Facebook friends or Instagram followers, even if you're commenting and liking and messaging people, 
it it's not the same. It doesn't it doesn't fill you up the way that a real human connection can, um, which is part of the reason that you know I, I know that we are a, a society of convenience and it's so nice to go on Amazon and have things delivered and again time and a place for that. When I can, I I choose to still go into stores and talk to people that work there and not even if I don't need to just to have that connection because I know how it feels to be on the other side of it I know what it feels to be lost in that sense of loneliness and for me it took a particular experience a particular chapter to open my eyes to how dependent we can be on technology because as count me in was growing and back in 2015 we produced our largest event so we had a setup that rivaled the oscars and grammys it was massive uh we had eight million people that tuned in live to this event and i was managing a team of 139 people so 139 people and i was 19 years old at the time holy so it was it was nuts it was absolutely nuts i was like this big success story you know as you can imagine teenage ceo starts brand that goes global it was crazy and i had a crazy amount of life experience between the ages of 14 and 19 um, because this high school project had grown so fast and impacted so many people in such a short amount of time and in the midst of of riding this high and producing this event and having it go global and reach so many people in the midst of this productivity and success, what people couldn't see or possibly know was that I was actually deeply struggling. And what people couldn't see or possibly know was that hidden behind my smile, I was desperately lonely. Mm-hmm. Even though I was managing all these people, even though I was you know, building this movement that was connecting millions around the world, I didn't feel connected myself. And then came this major wake-up call. Or somewhere in the middle of all this productivity and success, I was betrayed by one of my closest friends, and I also ended a long-term toxic romantic relationship. So all at the same time, I realized that I had nobody. I was betrayed by the people closest to me, abandoned by the people that I thought had my back, and I really quickly realized that I, I literally felt like I had nobody, nobody to turn to no community at all. So I made the bold decision as a 19-year-old to run away. And I'm sure we've all had those moments where we just want to escape our life and run away and buy a ticket somewhere. And so I did that. I, I bought a ticket to a country that I knew nothing about on the other side of the world. I bought the ticket and I was just hoping for this amazing escape from my life to disconnect and to be away from all this pressure. And to try and find myself. And what I ended up finding wasn't so much myself, but it was actually the sense of community that I had been lacking uh, in my work, in my home life. And it that first plane ticket actually turned into this research journey through 20 countries. And this accidental discovery of so many of the truths about community, how they start, what makes them tick, how people engage, and this power of meaningful offline connection. Things that it took me going to a remote village in Ghana, to Ho Chi Minh City, Vietnam, to Paris, France, to all these places around the world, to really uncover what it's like to connect with people in in real ways that seem to be vibrant, visceral, and natural in so many other parts of the world, but not here. Um, which is, it's so interesting how some things we're doing so right, I find in North America, but other things it seems we have backwards. Um, it's, it's almost like eggs. So it's, this is so interesting to me. This is two things that I've learned traveling the world. One, that we have no sense of community or connection in North America. We have that backwards. And two, we're the only place in the world that people refrigerate eggs. Do you know that? Yeah, I did know that only because I've spent right? too much time on the road. 
Uh, right? Yeah. So you go to UK, Asia, ever they don't refrigerate eggs. Eggs and butter do not need to be refrigerated. But for some reason in North America, you leave out eggs and you freak out. You throw them all out, right? We don't need to do it. So we have that backwards and we have community backwards. That's funny. What did you – so take me on this journey around the world because I've spent uh, – I'm an obsessive traveler. I love learning about other countries and other cultures. And I'd love to hear you – know, like you get on this plane, you're not in a good place for – obvious reasons you just described you mm-hmm. get off the plane how does the discovery begin what do you see tell me about the like what you observed and how your brain basically got exploded by t- world travel well day one so i it was new year's eve the day i arrived in vietnam and i landed in ho chi minh city which is this amazing combination of old and new if you've ever been you know that it's all these chaotic markets and and large temples in the alleys beneath these these modern skyscrapers. So it's this amazing combination of old and new, nothing like I had ever seen before. So right away, I'm checking off change of scenery on my list, yeah. right? I feel I know I'm in a different place. People are speaking a different language. This is amazing. It's a distraction from every, every struggle I'm experiencing back at home with my with my work. So this is great already. And it's New Year's. So I'm excited to go over to the main square where thousands of people are already coming together to celebrate. It's kind of like Times Square in New York, except slightly smaller. So I walk over to the square on my own, you know, just just got there and excited to see how they're going to ring in the new year. And there was a small group of people, uh, maybe in their late 20s, early 30s, that were laughing and talking a few feet to my right. And I didn't need to speak Vietnamese to know this group of people had actually started talking to one another about me. So here I am in this foreign country, other side of the world, and you have to understand that I had just produced the largest broadcast of my life. I had just done this crazy media tour, um, you know, where I was I was used to taking selfies of people and, and signing autographs. So now being in this foreign country, other side of the world, I hear this group of people and I'm certain they're talking about me. So all I'm thinking is great. I've traveled to the other side of the world and now I've been recognized. And then just as I'm thinking that, one of them taps me on my shoulder. So here we go. Like for me, it's a tap I know all too well. They're going to want an autograph, a picture, a selfie with me. So I take a deep breath and turn to my right, getting ready to you know, put on the Shane show. And the person who tapped me on the shoulder was this woman. She was wearing a bright red dress and, and matching lipstick. I can still picture her perfectly. And she doesn't ask me for an autograph or a selfie. She just asks me if I'm alone. So I feel confused. I probably look confused. So I nod my head yes. And she smiles at me and shakes her head no and reaches out her hand to me and invites me to join her and the crew. And so all at the same time, I'm completely embarrassed for where my head had gone. And I'm also feeling this overwhelming sense of relief. But it wasn't just relief, you know, that I wasn't recognized, that I still felt like I had safely escaped my life. But I was genuinely moved by this invitation to be included just because I was alone not because of anything I had done, not because of who I was. And I remember it so vividly, what she was wearing, what she looked like, what she sounded like. The entire experience was so visceral for me, probably because there isn't a time before this that I can clearly remember anyone inviting me to be a part of anything just because I was alone, just because I was another human being. It was always because I was being recognized because of something I had done or what something, something someone wanted from me. And what was so powerful about it was that these people wanted nothing from me except to include me in their community. And we had an amazing time. It was, it was an amazing experience. And what I learned afterwards was that in Vietnam, they actually value collectivism as a country. 
So in my research, I found that an individual is seen as secondary to a group in Vietnam, which means that the Vietnamese place great value in the power of groups and community. So if that woman, if that group hadn't noticed me and welcomed me in, chances are very high someone else would have noticed me and welcomed me in just as quickly. So it was this amazing warmth. There was this culture of connection that I experienced in that square and everywhere I went throughout the country. And even if I hadn't taken her hand, let's suppose that I didn't take her hand, I would have still experienced New Year's in Vietnam, right? But the thing is, I wouldn't have felt connected to the experience like I did. And that's what I was missing back at home. That's what I was missing at work. That's why I was feeling lonely. It's why I didn't feel excited to go into the office. It's why I had this amazing, impactful job, and I genuinely didn't feel or see the impact I was making because I was blinded by this disconnection that I felt in my life. And now I had my answer, right? When I took that stranger's hand, when I said yes to celebrating with a group, it instantly became a plus one experience. And life is meant to be a plus one experience. Do you know what I mean by that? Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Like I'm sitting here listening to you and I'm flashing to a moment in Peru when I was traveling and I got hooked up with a group of young people uh, and ended up spending like a week with them doing some pretty crazy stuff. Uh, and it was a, it's, it's a plus one. And I've, I've heard also, you know, movements are created one handshake at a time. That's plus one. Um, but it's interesting cause I'm visualizing your ego getting destroyed in that moment for the better. Uh, but then I'm also thinking about North American culture where the last thing we try to do is try to make sure that somebody else is included. In fact, right now it's almost the opposite yeah, I, it's in so many ways. I was uh, literally just yesterday. I was I was in Toronto, and I was uh, I was actually in this uh, amazing little gelato shop. It's a beautiful day. I walked into this gelato shop, and the woman working there, we started talking. Her name was Jada, and she had just moved a, a couple of years ago from uh, from Italy. She was born and raised in Rome. She just moved to Toronto, and she she and I started talking about how she missed the sense of community back at home. Um, you can tell that I'm always researching, <laughs> whether I'm in buying gelato or on a research trip, it doesn't matter. I'm always in that mindset. So I'm now asking her all kinds of questions about the difference between her experience in Rome, which I've also visited, um, and her experience growing up there versus Toronto. And she shared, like, she was like this one story. She said, we'll sum it all up. She said a couple months ago in the middle of winter, um, I was walking and I saw this woman on the ground and she had fallen and I went over right away to help her. And this woman, this older woman who had fallen, started crying. Um, she was crying because Jada, this this woman I'm speaking to, went over to help her. This woman said that she had been on the ground for 15 minutes and nobody had stopped to help her in this busy Toronto neighborhood, which, I mean, to me, as, as someone who was born and raised in Toronto, breaks my heart because I'm very fierce, outspoken, proud Torontonian, and I see a sense of community here all the time. doesn't mean we're perfect. And, you know, we, we all can do something more to, to look out for one another. But to me, it was, it was heartbreaking to hear the story and to think that all this woman needed was, was some support. And for me, what I see when I travel in other community-oriented countries and cultures is that first and foremost, they have each other's backs. It is entirely community-based culture in so many parts of Asia, across certain Caribbean islands, South America. There's so many cultures around the world that are built today on a foundation of community and connection. And for us, I think we're living in this very individualized culture where we are far more focused 
uh, and sometimes blinded by our own productivity and our own success, that it's not like we're being vicious and ignoring people, but we have such focus on our own lives and such fear for the other that sometimes that can blind us and, and stifle us from connection. And then it's a cycle that we sometimes bring upon ourselves where we are then lacking that sense of connection that then brings us into this state of loneliness that then doesn't fill up our cup. So we don't feel like we're making an impact. We don't enjoy our job. We don't wake up happy. And the cycle continues and perpetuates it, or itself. And it takes very simple switches in mindset for us to break that cycle that so many of us are trapped in, right? It, life is meant to be a plus one experience, right? That it, simple things. It's the difference between reading a great novel versus being in a book club. The difference between watching each of the eight installments of the Harry Potter franchise on your own versus lining up at the theater for the midnight premiere dressed in costumes, right? It's it's why we'll spend hundreds of dollars on a ticket to see Bruce Springsteen or or Beyonce live in concert because it's better than listening to them on Spotify or alone in your car. We crave those kinds of shared experiences with other people in real life. And doesn't matter where you live, what you do for work, we all have the amazing opportunity to welcome that sense of true community back into our lives. We can all do it starting right now. It starts with those small, seemingly insignificant moments of connection that we can all bring and spark in our own lives. We can all be those kinds of community builders. Love it. So love it. And I, lo I love the fact that the siren went off in the background right as you were saying that. It was like the perfect timing. We couldn't have scripted that there any better. Go. Tell me about Africa. What did you learn about community when you were traveling through Africa? Oh my goodness. So uh, there was one particular, so I, I spent a couple of weeks living in a remote village in Ghana. So I, I landed in Accra, Ghana, and actually drove three hours in the back of a pickup truck to this remote village called Adaklu Duwanu. And it was my first time uh, spending any kind of time anywhere that remote. So it was an amazing experience, first of all, just driving in and realizing, okay, these people are living in single-room huts made of mud and straw. The local well is far from local. The schoolhouse was this small shelter with no walls, no green, no vegetation. Uh, it was just... Uh, a bit of culture shock at first, just in terms of the way of life in this place. But right away, that kind of that kind of culture shock was interrupted by a whole different kind of culture shock. Because as I drove in, I was welcomed by the entire village in colorful and flowing dresses and flowy shirts with all these bright colors and the brightest smiles I've ever seen in my life. And there was this whole welcome ceremony, singing and dancing. And the climax was when this elder placed a bracelet on my wrist. It was a one strand of string with a single blue bead knotted in like a charm. And they explained to me in simple broken English that this bead, this small clay bead, was a symbol to welcome me into the community and signify that I was now part of their village, part of their family. And I, I literally just got there. So talk about polar opposites, right? What happens when you land in Toronto? <laughs> Nothing, right? You can fall on the floor and, and no one notices you for 15 minutes. And here, I literally, I was barely getting out of the pickup truck and I was already being told that I am their family, uh, which was just, it, it blew my mind. Here I am, total foreigner. You've never seen me before. We don't look the same. You know nothing about me and you're telling me that you have my back already from day one. And the first thing I couldn't help but think of in, in that first experience that first hour that I was there is what would happen in our companies if that's the way it always worked, right? You're the new person in the office, the new person on this job. And fundamentally, the very first line of business is making sure that you know that everyone has your back, that you are welcome here, that you are accepted, and that there's an excitement around your presence, your very presence. We don't even, you haven't done anything for us yet. 
but we're already so glad that you're here. Like what an empowering feeling to have, right? And and right away, I can tell you that all I wanted to do was give back to that community. Like they they were welcoming me in as as a foundational element, and I, I they felt like family in return to me, right? Because they had kind of set that precedent. And what kind of hammered down that that whole metaphor of of this village being my family from day one even more was that the day before I arrived, a baby was born. Oh wow, village. cool. Yeah, which was like, that's a cool experience in and of itself. And what was even more fascinating to me, and, and at first a little concerning, is that I realized over the course of the next two weeks as I was living there, that that baby was strapped to the back of a different person every single day. And at first I was like, they're confused. They don't understand. They don't know who the parents are. <laughs> They've lost the mother. Like, we don't, like, I'm, what's happening with this child? Who does it belong to? And then it was explained to me that everyone in the village was taking their turn to bond and care for this child and support her mother. And we've all heard the phrase, it takes a village to raise a child, and this is where it comes from. And it, like, all at once, it, it was it was like the answer to every question I'd ever had, right? It was, it's the remedy to every solution. When we have that foundational element of community, it it seals the deal from day one for us feeling that sense of belonging and connection that we all crave. And it didn't matter in this small village in the middle of nowhere who you were, where you came from, whether you were a local infant or a visiting foreigner, everyone was your family. Because why not? That was their mindset. Why wouldn't we accept you? Why wouldn't we love you unconditionally? Why wouldn't we support you? Right? You're a fellow human being. That's all that matters. And it it was an amazing and heartbreaking experience. Amazing because it, it inspired me and heartbreaking because it it wasn't something I'd ever experienced anywhere else. Mm. And that messed with me because I don't understand why. And now it's kind of been one of my micro missions to bring that sense of belonging back to work, back to our lives here in North America um, every single day. Because why not? Why do you think it's such a hard thing for people to incorporate into their lives now? Like, Why is it so profoundly part of the culture in a remote village in Africa? And why are we struggling with it? Why are we having such a hard time with this outside of these remote locations? I think we have more distraction. It's not just the remote locations, but I think in in westernized culture we are far more focused on on material and and things and again caught up in a lot of our our busyness. It's not it's not, I'm not talking capitalism. There's just there's a lot going on. And I think a lot of us feel that anyone who lives in a big city um or a big country like this there's a lot of distraction going on and spending time for example, in a Daklu Duwanu, like this place that seemingly had nothing except one another, like that that's that's all they have, right? They only have each other, so they don't know any different. They don't have the distraction. It's not like they have, they all have phones in their hands to distract them. That's not a thing there, right? So I believe there was a time that we would have been the same. But now there's just so much distracting us. Things are moving at, at such a speed here in North America that sometimes we lose sight of our foundational needs, right? There, there's, there's our hierarchy of needs. And I think a lot of us are neglecting some of the foundational ones that we think we can get away with, right? And we we bandage them up, we put a little band-aid on them, and we we don't actually deal with the underlying root requirements that us as human beings, as these social animals need. And that's that kind of connection. So I think for them, they just don't know any different and they do it and it feels good. So why would they change? Um, and I, I think a lot of us are focused so much on advancement and and tomorrow and uh, the future generations and how we can you know 
scale our sales and our impact and get that promotion in the corner office. And which is, there's so much going on. Um, and a lot, like I'm not undermining any of those amazing things. I think it's important to have goals and grow and, and business is important. And I think that we also need to realize there's this foundational element of connection that we can also have. It's not an either or situation, right? You can get that promotion. You can be that CEO. You can have that amazing job, provide for your family, do all those things, have the fancy car. You can do all those things and also recognize that you need to take initiative to connect with other people or else none of that will mean anything to you. In fact, it can actually help you do those things even better. Apps, it will, guaranteed, right? The most, everywhere that I traveled, every village, community, city, country that I traveled around the world, the one universal truth I uncovered was that the most successful, happy, healthy people, the most successful, happy, healthy people anywhere that I traveled were always the ones who were intentionally connecting with other people every single day in real life, whenever possible, offline. It was part of their daily regimen. It was a non-negotiable, the way that you wake up every morning and hopefully brush your teeth, right? It's a non-negotiable. We don't think about it. You spend two minutes every morning brushing your teeth, right? These are people that the same way they spend a couple minutes here and there throughout their day connecting with people, not trying to get things, right? And, and sometimes these are managers that in, in similar ways were injecting this into their work lives, right? What happens if at the start of this half hour meeting, what if we take one minute to not talk about business? What if we take one minute to just talk about life or one common question or one reflection or how was your weekend? Simple. These are simple things. They're not earth shattering, mm. but they are the basis for connection instead of what most of us experience on a day-to-day, depending on your job. You probably get a lot of emails that don't even start with a hi. They don't start with anything except, hey, I need this on my desk. Hey, have you done this yet? Hey, have you heard from this person? Right? Um, maybe not even the hey, just did you get this done? Right. And we just, and it's, and there's a a time and a place, I suppose. But what happens if we take the extra 30 seconds to insert one personal sentence, right? One little animated GIF, one little emoji. Like what happens when we build those things into our daily lives? And no, emojis are not going to give you the sense of connection, but it's a starting point, right? It's that just extra micro moment where you think, okay, this is a moment for connection. Because so many of us, you know, you can buy your lunch from the same person in the same cafeteria every single day for five years and not even know that her eyes are blue or that she has three kids, you know, one of whom has autism, that she's saving up right now to go on a Mediterranean cruise to celebrate her 25th wedding anniversary. And would it really take away from your life to spend the extra 20 seconds every single day saying hi and acknowledging that fellow human being that you're interacting with, you know, the bus driver, the Uber driver, whatever the case may be. These are all amazing opportunities for a rich connection. When you sit down on the plane next to someone, right? No, that might like, it may not be your new best friend. It might not be your business partner. It, It may not be the person you're going to marry, but it's someone that you could have a five second, five minute connection with, right? And that's an opportunity rich in and of itself. Super cool. The final location I'm going to ask you to take us to is Europe. What did you discover in Rome and Paris? So Paris is a great one because it to me it was so simple, and I had never thought about eating as a cultural thing until I visited Paris. 
And it actually, when I arrived in Paris, you might think of, you know, the Eiffel Tower, or if you're like me, you think of fresh baguettes and cheese. Uh, but when I landed in Paris, my first stop was actually at a McDonald's, not because I was craving anything, but because it was the first familiar place that I thought would have a clean restroom. So literally my first stop when I got to France and I walk in and the place is deserted. It was totally empty, which to me was really weird. I had never seen, I don't know about you, but I've never seen an empty McDonald's in my life. Um, and, you know, I've spent a lot of my life in New York City and there's 250 McDonald's just in New York City alone, many of them 24-7. And doesn't matter, day or night, there's always a handful of people in there. So being in an empty McDonald's was really creepy to me, super creepy. And what I came to learn was that the reason it was empty, even though it was 10 a.m. on a weekday morning and the street was bustling outside, was because in France, 80% of meals are eaten together. Mm -hmm. 80%. So the French, for the most part, still have three meals a day at set times together. They see it as a communal activity. Even when fast food options started popping up in the country in the 1960s and 70s, the French, for the most part, still stuck to their three customary meal times. And the same is true at home. The same is true at work. The French would rather sit down and, and savor with friends, with family, and with coworkers. And it's part of, of their life out there. And I started to realize walking around the city that no locals were walking around while eating or drinking anything. And it opened my eyes even wider to how individualistic our eating has become in North America, where, you know, how many of us just grab a coffee or a donut on our way to work, right? For many of us, that single serving is a very regular part of our everyday because it's convenient. It, go, it goes with our fast-paced, productive lifestyle, right? But it also is very individualistic and cuts us off from connection. And I had never thought of this before at all, before I, I spent time in France. But I realized that they might be onto something. And in my research, I started to find that when you actually sit down with coworkers and share a meal, even if it's a short meal, even if it's a drink, even if you get coffee with coworkers, it leads to greater rapport, better communication, an increase in productivity, where most people think, oh, I got to power through my lunch because I'll get more done. The truth is actually opposite. If you sit down and spend your lunch eating with coworkers, it's actually going to lead to an increase in productivity. Uh, not to mention, across the board, there's an increase in joy. People are much happier at work when they sit down and share a meal with their coworkers. So the impact of eating together is unquestionable, and it's something that is natural in places like France. But also, you know, I was speaking at Google recently, and I learned that they've now made eating together part of employees' daily lives. It's an incredibly successful company, obviously. Um, and if you ask anyone who works at Google, they will tell you that part of their job, part of their daily routine is eating with others, grabbing a drink with coworkers, sitting down for lunch together with their team. That's just part of their job. Same goes for Loblaw now one of the most successful retailers in North America, they recently launched a campaign encouraging their 200,000 employees to eat lunch with one another every single mm -hmm. day. And they've already seen the impact, right? It, it, it's huge. And again, this, this simple idea that it was, it was amazing being in a place where, again, it, it's foundational. It's just part of the way they're raised. And maybe I clicked into it right away because of how I was raised, but I, I grew up in a household, I don't know about you, but I grew up in a household where nobody eats alone. And I I still, I can recall a time just a few weeks ago where I went over, I was at, at my mom's place and I went over to visit and I sat down to to eat something and my mom stopped what she was doing to sit down with me. And it, it's just, it's how I was raised, right? No one eats alone. And I think that's it's it's interesting that I was raised that way, and yet I've even experienced 
uh, work days where I just power through and so many people around me are powering through and eating on their own. And it's amazing what happens. We now make team lunches or team meals mandatory whenever we have full team days where everyone's together at CalMeIn. You know, we, we have 50 people on our team now and many of them are virtual, but we do several times a year. Many of us are together and we'll, we'll always make sure we eat with one another because it's just, it, it's rich time for connection. And I think so many companies are missing the mark on something so simple. It doesn't take an extra line item on your budget, doesn't cost anything, right? doesn't need to be an, an hour off to eat, right? It can happen in the office, out of the office. It can happen once a week, once a month, every day, doesn't matter. But when we celebrate that kind of communal time, it's game-changing, not only for personal lives at home and at work, but for the business as well, for the productivity and success of the company. You're going to see it in the retention, in the workflow, in the productivity that comes after lunch. We, we've researched this and you can see it across the board. What We've been talking a lot about businesses and that's I, I already see so many things that we could do better and that I'm going to do better, even just thinking, you know, making sure I have breakfast with my kids and other stuff as we're all going out. And I love the idea of never eat alone. That's so cool. Uh, that's a huge opportunity for, uh, you know, how are you doing? Or, you know, a little moment just to sit down with someone to, to chat and, you know, have a defined endpoint so you can get back to work when you need to afterwards. But is there anything that you have seen that might also improve this in schools? I just think that, you know, given your involvement in youth, that you might have some insights as well about what we can do to improve the sense of community amongst young people these days. Definitely. I, and again, I don't think this is a generational issue. I really think it's societal. So the things that I would say to support and, and engage our youth are the same things I would say to really engage anyone. And I think the first step is really listening, paying attention. And I mean, really listening, deeply listening. Uh, so let, let's, let's actually visit one more country. So in, in the northern natal region of South Africa, rural Zulu tribes greet one another with 10 seconds of silence until the elder of the two says, Saubona, which means I see you, to which the younger responds, Sikona, which means I am here. So Saubona, I see you, followed by Sikona, I am here. First of all, that sounds awkward to most people in North America because silence is seen as awkward here. I mean, imagine if we just stopped on on this, you know, podcast right now, and we just stopped for ten seconds, and it was just silent. It would be awkward. You know, listeners wouldn't know what was happening. They would think something was wrong with their phone or their car. Something was wrong, right? Because it's awkward. And imagine if I stopped you on the street and just stared into your eyes in silence for ten seconds. It sounds weird and creepy, but in this in this region of South Africa, it's actually deeply grounding. So saubona, I see you, followed by sikona, I am here. And here's what I believe they're saying to one another. That until you see me, I don't even exist. Like that the action, the intention of seeing someone actually brings them into existence. And saubona implies really seeing someone. It's to say, my whole attention is with you. I want to understand you, your needs, your wants, your joy, your sadness, your fear, your love. <laughs> and I thought, wow. I, I want to be seen like that. And I don't think I have ever been seen like that. And I think that feeling goes for so many of us at work, in our families, and particularly with teenagers. I, I would say the most widely misunderstood generation on the planet right now, 
right? And I think that's not, that's just not today. That's just teenagers in general throughout time. They always tend to feel misunderstood, mm-hmm. right? And I think there's a whole shift that can happen at home with our families, at work with our colleagues, when we stop and we we practice this level of listening, right? Like when we, when if we redefine leadership, if right now, today, in this moment, we redefine leadership, so it's not about the corner office, the raise, the promotion, you know, how big your family is, where you live, what kind of house you have. If we redefine leadership, so it's simply 10 seconds of saubona. 10 seconds of I see you. I think when we redefine leadership and, and try every day in our lives to strive for that level of connection, that level of listening, it's not only going to validate and recognize so many people around us that we interact with and help them feel their own value, but it's going to activate a new level of value that we see within ourselves. So that uh, that to me is is the ticket. Like That is the absolute starting point. If you take nothing else away, if you do nothing else, what happens if you intentionally put effort into those amazing 10 seconds of listening, where instead of thinking about what you're going to say next, instead of listening to respond, you're listening to listen. Yeah, I love that. I was just in South Africa in that region back in October, and the people are incredible. And I just got goosebumps listening to you as that brought back some pretty powerful memories from that uh, that that trip just speaks again to the importance of getting out there and, and seeing the world and immersing yourself in different cultures and all the incredible things that you can learn from from being in those places. And I guess where I want to sort of finish up and land is what is your vision of the world? What are you trying to do? What are you trying to create? What What's the future look like for you? <laughs> Minor <laughs> micro this, question, just so you know, to sort of wrap things up. <laughs> so we could talk right, about this yeah. for a month. I mean, just, just, uh, just a yeah. little question. No, but it's everything we've been talking about. I think that genuinely, uh, based on everything that I have seen, everything I felt, every struggle that I've faced, the remedy and solution to everything is always community. I mean, that that's what I learned on, on that research journey, on my trip, in my business, with my family, every relationship, everything for me has taught me the same thing in different ways. And, and the answer is community. It's what we need. It's what I need. Uh, and so my my wish, my dream, and and the the mission that I'm on is to help other people see that and understand that, and help give them the tools and resources that they need in order to be their own community builders, be the community builders in their life, in their home, in their family, in their neighborhood, in their business, so that we can all feel that sense of connection. I see that it's lacking. I see what's happening around us. I, I see it in, in the people and the stories and the stats, right? We know now that in North America, in other westernized countries, the UK, we have an increase, an alarming increase of loneliness, where more than half of the adult population is actually feeling deep, deep loneliness and disconnection. And it's sad and it's scary for me. And it's also uplifting when I realize how easy that can be fixed and solved because if we if we all adopt that mindset that I have so much to offer not necessarily to my company or even to my family but just to one person at a time just to my son just to my daughter just to the person who sits next to me at the office when we adopt that mindset that all it takes is those the 10 seconds of saubona 10 seconds of deep listening right that one the, the micro moments right the seemingly insignificant moments between all the larger milestones when we recognize that, 
and start there, everything starts to shift. Right? It's what I experienced traveling. It's what I experienced in high school. And my school counselor connected me to clubs and councils. And I'm sure we can all recognize immediately any one moment in our life where we have felt some sort of deep connection. Maybe it was the birth of your child. Maybe it was uh, a asking someone to your prom, right? Maybe it was landing your first job. Maybe it was getting that first promotion. Some moment where you really felt recognized. And yes, those milestones are important and they're rich and they're easy for us to recall and see. But we also have the opportunity to treat all the smaller moments just like we do those larger moments, to make the small things the big things. And when we would do that, I mean, imagine if that, that sense of recognition and value that we all just recalled in that memory, imagine if that was our daily life. Imagine if every single day you, you went to bed reflecting on all the things that you're grateful for, all the connections that you manifested just in the last 12 hours. Right, and this isn't this is some airy fairy dream. It's not like this isn't mysticism. It's not this isn't meditation. This is just actual connection. It's a real physical connection, right? Opportunities that we have every single day to look other people in the eye, to see them as other human beings on this planet that we value, and recognizing them, right? Saying hello. It's it's all those little moments of connection that build those shared experiences, right? And those shared experiences are what give us that sense of true community that is lacking right now in North America. Love it. And I love that idea of making the small things big. That's something that's so easy to do. And, you know, we, we maybe don't appreciate just how much of a huge impact you can have just by doing the little tiny things a little bit differently. Yeah. I don't know whoever came up with the phrase, don't sweat the small stuff, but I don't mm -hmm. get that. I think we should absolutely focus more on the small stuff because when we focus on the small stuff, it'll make us feel better because all the small things will be taken care of. It'll help us connect more with more people and the big things will take care of themselves, right? If we're working on all those small things that are much easier to to take a bite out of, right? It, it, it just makes everything better, more manageable and fills us up inside, lends themselves to that that sense of connection. So that's the starting point. I think we all just need to look up from our devices just a little more often, listen a little bit deeper, share a little bit more, be a little bit more present at, at work with our family and see life at every turn as this rich opportunity for a plus one experience for you, for me, and for all of us. Amazing. Shane, how can people find out about Count Me In and your work if they want to connect with you online or join and support what you're up to? How would people do that? shanefeldman.com. shanefeldman.com is where I live digitally online. And that website connects to, to all my social as well. So Shane Feldman on, on Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, you can find me just about anywhere. And, uh, and I would welcome any kind of connection. And if there's anything I can ever do to support you, um, then please don't hesitate to reach out. I, I spend most of my time helping uh, people, entrepreneurs and, and companies around the world. It, it's what fills me up inside. It's what I love. It's where I source a lot of my connections. So please, please reach out. It would be a joy to connect with you. Super cool. Shane, thanks for joining us. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Greg. It's been an absolute pleasure. Pretty crazy, right? What an amazing human being. Shane is awesome. You can check him out at his website, shanefeldman.com. All of his social media are there. Just click on the top right-hand corner, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn. And his movement, Count Me In, is cmimovement.com. So if you're interested in community, connect with him. If you found this 
helpful and beneficial or think that it might be relevant for someone else, please share it on social. Uh, and of course, as I always ask, if you can give us a follow and uh, subscribe on iTunes or whatever your favorite podcast platform is, that would be absolutely spectacular. Thanks so much for listening. I hope that was helpful. We'll talk to you again really, really soon.